Welcome here to Nick Anante's Serie A Spectacular, Episode 3 here on FNR Football Nation Radio. Apologies for the delay. We've had some technical problems here in the studio. A bit of teething issues getting back in. Um, Big, big morning. Massive, massive morning after what happened over in Belfast. Uh, We'll start off with all of that, but before we get to Italy's goal of straw with Northern Ireland and all the permutations, everything else, Ante, welcome to Episode 3. Buongiorno a tutti. How are we all? Uh, not good, Ante. Not, not going to lie. It's, it, it, it's deja vu. It's deja vu. It actually is. I mean, look, I, I'm, I'm basically indestructible after Croatia qualified yesterday morning. But, um, I mean, it was this window has been so weird, fatally. Then, I mean... There is clearly an idea and an identity, but the reality is that it doesn't happen. And with, let's say, without Marco Verratti, like if, if he's, you know, killing a killing a you know a pack, if he's, if he's a packet a day smoker and he's going to be injured half the time, then you know <laughs> he can be as good as he likes. But if you know he's got to be on the pitch, um, I, I don't know then as a consequence how it all happens without him and yeah that was and like that was kind of evident at the euro as well yeah um it, i think back to the turkey game and how it all panned out in that game and how filtered they were down one hand down one side without Verratti and then you know the necessity for Barella to receive the ball in certain areas and that was how the goal came in that first game against Turkey like it was a transition receive the ball in, as a third man and then it was a, and then Italy were able to penetrate from there I, I mean it, it's it's really tricky but even this morning against Northern Ireland that they didn't really you know, pull them in any in any certain way defensively. They became susceptible on the counter as a consequence, much like the Switzerland game. And without, you know, we, we always talked about the Immobile Belotti dynamic, but now without neither of them, you know, it's 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 a um, it's a very big, let's say, mystery as to who's going to occupy the centre backs. Yeah. I think the um, the one thing that I noticed this morning, in particular, speak about Verratti being out, there was no one in that midfield three who was actually able to get things moving and offer any sort of yeah. creativity um, yeah. because we knew what was going to happen. We knew Bel- uh, Northern Ireland were going to throw 11 plays back behind the ball. We knew it was going to be tight. We knew they were going to play for a goal of straw. Um, and I think this game really exposed the flaws of that front three that we didn't see in the Euros in games where they were a bit more chaotic. You could, you know, go P&P with guys like Chiesa on the wing. Um, Insigne, who played sort of as a false nine, him and Berardi sort of switched as the game went on, but they mm. weren't able to get into the game whatsoever. But, you know, it, it is interesting. I mean, I know there are players out, but I don't think that that's really an excuse because there's enough quality there still. But without Verratti, man, like that midfield just looks lost. Yeah. And, and so any talk about individual player quality in isolation becomes secondary, I, I, at least I think, because he's... 
he's the only one who really, out of that Italian midfield, you know, with the exception of, let's say, to a lesser extent, but he's not Marco Verratti. The only player who is like Verratti in a certain way is Stefano Sensi. Mm. Um, you look at, you know, Locatelli, Jorginho, Barella, they're all kind of, uh, not Barella, but like Locatelli and Jorginho are very deep sitting midfielders, distributing midfielders. They're not ones who are going to really, uh, let's say, dictate tempo. Um, they're going, they, they kind of need reference points. And that's why, you know, next to Verratti, Jorginho looks like a world beater. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, but then, yeah, as, and without that, and something we also saw at the Europe, without Verratti, like Insignia becomes the reference point or becomes the outlet ball out wide. So he can, so then players can run and, and you know, work around him. Then playing him as a, as a nine tonight or this morning, um, it kind of made that worse. And, you know, there was that, there was that early chance for Chiesa where he's basically received the ball on the touchline done about five step overs for a little consequence. And, you know, they're going to look one dimensional mm. in a certain way. And that works for a team like Northern Ireland. And to be honest, they even had the, had the opportunity to snatch the game late. To be honest, they probably should have won. Let's be mm. real. I mean, if it wasn't for Connor Washington, absolutely just, you know, crapping the proverbial the last minute and just passing the border Bonucci on the goal line. It should have been one nil. I mean, you know, you look at yeah. the whole team, Donnarumma looked shaky. Um, defensively, the, the, the center back partnership, you spoke about it before, but Acerbi and Bonucci, I don't think is a functional. We've, we've mm. spoken so many times and we'll talk about it later. Is Acerbi in a back four? It's, it's all, mm. there's always been that issue, you know, without Bastoni, without Chiellini to even a bigger extent without Romagnoli, who I think is still a glaring omission from this squad, even though he's not a, playing as the, the number, the sort of part of a, the main partnership for, for Milan week in and week mm. out. Um, but then you look at, as we spoke about Chiesa, is that, you know, everyone was fiending about Chiesa during the Euros, right? Especially because in games against teams like Austria, when the game became a little bit more chaotic, he looked unbelievable. Against Spain off the break, he looked unbelievable. Yeah. Against England, it was the same thing. Against Belgium, it was the same thing. But when he's come up against teams like Switzerland now, and against teams like Northern Ireland. And even to a bigger extent, you think back to that Bulgaria game, the one-all draw, mm. it was the same thing. And you can look at this game and go in a vacuum and say, yep, it was a poor game. But this has been a poor three windows in a row. I mean, you look back to the, the one-all draw against Bulgaria. You look at the nil-nil against Switzerland, the one-all against mm. Switzerland. You even look at the way, I know against Spain, it was a Nations League game and they got the red card and everything else, but they weren't that great. And the reality is, oh, sorry, no, 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 you, can, you, can, you can even go all the way back to the start of Mancini's tenure at the start of the Nations League mm. and how, poorly, how you know, kind of relatively poorly they performed against Poland and Portugal. Yeah. And that was, again, without Verratti at the start of the phase. And then Verratti came into it and then, you know, everything was hunky-dory after that. I mean, he allows and facilitates so much in play for Italy that it, it doesn't expose... Italian players individually in a certain sense. But the question is now, okay, let's say you don't have Verratti. How do you fix it? There's no real answer to that because there's no one I'm... that can. There's no one that can. I think because you mentioned Stefano Senzi, but he's not playing. So okay, that's the so issue. Mancini won't pick now, 
Uh, let, I know this might be out of left field, but would you play uh, Pobega instead of Locatelli? Well, he was called up. He didn't feature on the bench in any of the games, but he wasn't called up. I mean, Locatelli mm. hasn't been great at Juventus. Let's be real. Tonali yeah. got his chance, but he was not playing in the role. Again, similar player. He's not going to be that guy on the left side of midfield. Uh, That's right. To, to be that sort of play, he functions really well playing deeper. Paul I think, is a, is a left field choice that could work. By the time we see Italy again in March, this could be a very different Italian team that does roll up. You know, mm. they, they might look at, you know, they, they've probably in terms of Mancini and the way that he's favoured certain players in selection. Unfortunately, Pobega might not even get called up on because, you know, Lorenzo Pellegrini might be back. And Verratti yeah. might actually, you know, knock him out of the squad, unfortunately. But they need Verratti back either way. But yeah. I think Pobega, in terms of what he brings to the table, is probably the best sort of option to try and stretch defenders. And I think... Just, he, yeah, yeah on, especially sorry. in the three. Yeah. You know, like, if they're not going to play... If, if Mancini's going to stay with this... Let's say three man three man midfield and not and like Jorginho in a single pivot. You know, if in the event you don't have Sensi, in the event you don't have Verratti, he might be a feasible option in relation to Locatelli. Um, you know, Barella's Barella's spot is basically security, respective of what he does and doesn't provide for Italy. I think like his status now has just made him basically undroppable, for for better or worse. Um, yeah, I, I think if if you know in let's say in the event of absences of certain others, like he might be a feasible feasible solution because he is one who is he might not be technically as proficient, but he's at least willing to go into certain spaces to receive the ball. And he pulls defenders in a certain way um, that let's say, look, at let's be, let's be frank. Look, at tell he doesn't. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, Barella to use almost a literature term, it's like he has significant plot armor. You know, he can play as poorly as he wants, but they're not going to kill him off. You know, he might not be, he might be such an insignificant character, but if he's ever in a predicament, he could be, you know, there was, how long ago was it? A week and a half ago, he had that, you know, hamstring sort of, he pulled his hamstring in the derby and there were doubts about him even playing. Is he even a hundred percent, but are they just rolling him out because it's Nicolo Barella in this sort of instance? So it, it will. I think these playoffs are going to say a lot though. I think that uh. in terms of speaking about the new playoff format, I think that because they're one-off games, it suits Italy a lot more than 2017, where they were two-legged affairs and one deflected goal can mean that the opposition can come to Italy, put 11 men back behind the ball, and do exactly what they did in Milan on that on that night. So I'd be curious to see who they come up against. They're going to miss Portugal at least at the start, which I guess is some silver lining. But other than that, like there's still there's, it'll be interesting to see what happens over those two games, if they get to two games. Yeah, the the at the same time though, you're still yet to we're still yet to determine who the other two teams are. Mm. So you know we could have a, re, a you know rematch of Turkey from memory, and you yep. also have let's say because I I think it's the Finland group. So let's say if both uh, France and Ukraine win their games tomorrow morning, then it'll be Ukraine that goes into the playoff, and they're not exactly a, a simple or a um or a easy opposition either. So, um, and, and Finland have actually also been strong in this qualification phase, uh, irrespective of their low ranking on the name recognition index. Um, so like there aren't going to be any easy ties. No. Um, yeah. The, like, I think it's you know, as simple as it sounds like 
Italy have simply complicated matters for themselves. Absolutely. It could have been, you know, sort of easy, you know, <coughs> going to this next period where you don't have to worry about high stakes games. You can start mm-hmm. to prepare for Qatar and get friendlies out of the way, try some new players. But now it's it's more high stakes. It's more pressure on them. And I remember, you know, hearing all this stuff like I saw some tweets this morning, people saying this is when he's going to thrive. <laughs> To be honest, it's not like that. I was listening to um, Alessandro Del Piero on on Saturday after the Switzerland game, and he said, everyone talks about the fact that, you know, Italy love the drama. But to be honest, in a lot of the big games, Italy have always found a way to stuff it up. Penalty Mm. shootouts, big high-stakes games where they've just not been able to break down teams. Winning the Euros, how they did it, and even the 06 World Cup, is a rarity for Italy. When you think about (laughs) the history of the national team, um, it's not necessarily, this is not looking at all this now and looking at the teams that are there. This is a really tough set of teams right now. We're looking at, you know, Portugal, Scotland as well, to a lesser extent there. If you have to go to Hampton park, shout you out don't to want to, yeah, shout out to young boy. He's excited. <laughs> um, Russia, obviously you saw Russia yesterday against Croatia, okay. Sweden, uh, Poland, and then obviously North Macedonia or Macedonia uh, through to that next round. Then obviously you got three more teams. I think maybe Wales, Austria, uh, Turkey, or Finland. They're not going to be easy games. And yeah, specifically, I, I you know having watched the Croatia Russia game yesterday, like and even even in the first game, they are very well organised defensively under Valeri Karpin mm. and uh, like a team like Croatia or a team like Italy could be able to play out, but it's not exactly a simple task, you know, like um, I think, yeah, it, it, there aren't any, let's say, you know, cut and dry, simple fixtures in this playoff and fitness will be absolutely key for Italy um, because functionality of the team depends on it. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Look, let's, um, let's put the Italian national team to a side. Let's, let's, come into what we were actually going to be talking about mainly today, and that is the best league in the world in the Italian Serie A. Um, obviously, back this weekend after the international break, um, before the international break, it really started to heat up and had the perfect crescendo in the Milan derby. And mm. I would say we'd start with Napoli, but I think it's best to start with Milan because they are top of the table, a tie with Napoli right now. Um, it was an interesting month between windows for Milan because they had a lot of injuries, they found a way to get results. Some of them weren't necessarily pretty. A bit like last season. It, it felt a bit like deja vu, especially those games against Bologna and Hellas Verona. But they came out of that derby, perhaps, I think that was a bit of a weird game because they probably should have won that game in the end because yeah. of the substitutions that they made at halftime mm. or in the second half. Yeah, like I, I think... <laughs> This has kind of lingered with respect to Milan, but I think the last month specifically has underlined the limitations of the front four, especially when um, and even even to to a, you know to a further extent underlined Adevich's importance in front of uh, Giroud. And I can't Zlatan. believe you're As saying I say, this. I can't believe I can't I'm believe saying this either. Yeah. I really can't believe I'm doing this. Like it, I was saying, this is um, this is my footballing equivalent to Stockholm syndrome. Basically, like <laughs> un, like basically coming to the realization that Adevich is Milan's best op- yeah. option up up at centre forward. Um, uh, I think, irrespective of how this season goes, I think Milan need to actually sign a center forward that fits. And I don't think, let's say, you know, and there was, there was talk during the week that um, 
or over the weekend that they were looking at signing Renato Sanchez. Like, I don't think midfield is specifically the issue with Milan. It's, you know, that front four. And the compositions of the front four, you know, the, what the individuals within those, that, those front four compositions bring, I think the midfield masks that to a certain extent. And let's say, you you know, if, if Ben said is not going to be fit every game, He's 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 starting to find that early season form from last season. Um, he really hit the ground running last season, but you know, having contracted COVID, he's had to kind of work his way into this season. I don't think Pioli should be uh, should be going away from the uh, Benacer Tonali double pivot because yeah. I think they would that's that's probably the best option going forward for them. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I mean. There's this weird, we've spoken about this, this weird fandom among Milan fans for how good Franchesi is. But I think that some people are now starting to realize that he's extremely limited. He's not that guy. He's not, he's not <laughs> it. And I think if you, I think right now, if, you know, Tottenham do offer what they are going to offer for Franchesi and he walked, even if it was for take free, him. they can take him. Yeah. Um, and you spoke about midfield not being the issue, aren't they? Like, Pobega and Adley coming back for nothing at the exactly. end of this season is is the least of Milan's problems. Yeah, if then... Renato Sanchez came in, it'd yeah. have to be with, you know, Bakayoko's loans being cancelled or Rade Krunic has been sold. But yeah. I think that the interesting thing is about that front line because it does almost underpin the importance of bringing Andrea Bellotti at the end of the season. He would score 50 goals a season with this Milan team. He yeah. would be extraordinary. Yeah. Um, but, and that's, you know what, speaking of the Kessia situation, like that's, that's um, when you look at Theo Hernandez and Benacer willing to accept, you know, four, four and a half million euro salary and Kessia is looking for double that and, He's like a lesser player than those two. Like, yeah. I, I think, I think for a team like Milan that has been, you know, thrifty in recent past and have actually been, have actually made sound decisions with respect to squad composition. I think we're becoming ever closer to Kessie leaving. Mm. And I think it's not the worst thing because no. you look at the history of Frank Kessie at Milan. It, necess- it hasn't necessarily been a you know a smooth ride. It's been very bumpy. You know, there's been couldn't moments. wipe his proverbial without Benacer. Yeah, and we didn't see him hit his best form until Ismail Benacer and him were actually no. playing together. Um, and I think that even when you know you look at when he first came in and he had that good burst of form at Atalanta under Gasperini and everything else, and I think everyone sort of thought, oh. This guy's going to be the answer. He's the next Yaya Toure because he plays a similar role and everything, but he's not the same. And no, he scores like, a lot of penalties, but that's about <laughs> it. I think I think uh, Frank Kessia was one of the uh, one of the original members of the uh, Gasparini midfield attacks. Um, mm. And like you look, you know, he's been able to effectively do the same thing with Froehler and Darun. If Froehler yeah. and Darun went into different systems, they would be just as, you know, mediocre and dependent on a reference point. You know, you can look at Darun for the, you know, Dutch national team. It's the same thing. Um, I don't think Kess here is indispensable, nor should he be worth the salary he he and his agent are asking for. Well, I mean, Tottenham will, will feel that sort of... And they'll overpay. Yeah, and to be honest, you know what? I... I feel this is an interesting point because I think if he goes and plays in the Premier League, I think he'd be great in the Premier League. In a, in a, in a not, system, in, in, in a contest system. Yeah, that's, that's in a contest thing. system. Yeah. Just I playing think, as destroyer. Um, 
Yeah, well, that would also depend on uh, if they sign Brozovic as well, because I, I really don't want Brozovic chatting that anymore. You like, know, I, you, know how, you know how torn I am watching Brozovic get to this level and if, practically be the best defensive midfielder in the world, but doing it at Inter, like I, I just, I just have this really huge cognitive dissonance with it. <laughs> like no, he was so good against Milan, but he way. was, no, he was exceptional. It was, um, it was painful watching. Rade Krunic have to be the man that's sort of going up against <laughs> Marcelo Brozovic. When I saw the starting lineup and I saw Diaz out wide and Krunic is a 10, there was this collective sort of sigh, like, oh, he would yeah. man, you know. And um, I know that Krunic is a Stefano Pioli boy because he works hard and he, you know, yeah. he gives 110%, but for what he offers going forward, it's just not there. Um, big m- month coming up for Milan before the next break. And I think, you know, we can essentially rule Champions League out. Um, there's some big games coming up against teams like Fiorentina, Sassuolo, and the big one on the, on the 20th against Napoli next month. Um, where do you see Milan heading into Christmas? Do you see them sticking with Napoli? Can you see that game against Napoli still being in a similar boat where both teams are still locked on similar points and it being as important the title race as it is now? I think the stakes are... Abs like they're as high as they could be even going into the end of the season because mm. uh, with Afcon coming up, both Milan and Napoli have uh, like their most important players are going to be out for out for a month, yeah. um, and so they need to pick up as many points as they can going into January. And that game just before Christmas, I I cannot wait for it. I think it's going to be awesome. Um, I do see it being, um, let's say, but then again, it depends on how um, Inter Napoli goes this weekend as well. Um, If that's that's kind of been the thing, if if Milan were able to. if Milan were able to win against Inter, that would have opened up breathing room for between Napoli, Milan, and then Inter in third. Mm. Inter are now kind of hanging in there. Um, and, you know, you can't kind of rule them out. No, you can't. And you can't at all. If they win this weekend, it's going to make things really interesting. Yeah. Um, and let's talk about Napoli uh, whilst we're here. I mean, they, they started, they came out of the international break, they hit some good form, but... It wasn't necessarily the best month. Like when you look yeah. at their results as a whole, you know, the the nil-nil against Roma on the road just after they got banged around by Bottle Glimpt. Um, you know, the, <laughs> the scrappy one-nil win against Salernitana. They were perhaps unlucky not to beat Hellas Verona before the break, but Hellas Verona have proved in this Igor Turdo, as, as you as we'll talk about later, that ten this ten game run. Yeah. Um, they've proven not to be an easy beat. But Napoli, the wheels were sort of they were hanging on. And now everyone's saying, well, this is now where they're going to be tested because they've got Inter, they've got Spartak Moscow, Lazio, Sassuolo, Atalanta, Leicester, Milan in this run. There's a lot of a tough games. Huge month for Napoli. Um, and that was kind of the the lingering, uh, let's say, narrative in relation to the start of their season, mm. that the opposition they came against wasn't, wasn't as strong as it could be. Um, but they've been... They've been strong. They are strong, irrespective of the opposition. I think that's I think that's undeniable. However, like this is like when you do have these kinds of games in succession, um, you you get to see what a team is made of mentally as well. And this is, I think, I think they've let's say 
excuse me, <laughs> sorry. Uh, I think they are contenders, like for the for the title as the season goes on. Um, but it all it all comes down to let's say the first like this game coming up against Inter and you know the Milan game just before Christmas. Like they're going to be huge, man. Yeah, it's going to be so good. And I think defensively has been the one thing that I've been super impressed by. You know, mm. four goals conceded in twelve games is just ridiculous. You know, and with Manolas not playing either, really. Yeah, and Koulibaly missed the last game against Hellas Verona as well. Mm. Um, this game against Inter, if they can go to the Sun Seater and get all three points. That's huge. That is massive, not just for Napoli's title hopes, but just to create that separation, especially if Milan beat Fiorentina this weekend too, because it makes it that that really locks in that it's going to be a two horse race. I know so much football still to be played, but not not necessarily, not necessarily, because like you you still no, because like I think I think there with Milan and and Napoli, I think there will be. A drop off, like you know, kind of accelerated by Afcon. Afcon, yeah, and so that'll open up um, possibilities for your Inter, or you know, if they were consistent in Atalanta, for example. Um, I don't see Roma like in any serious <laughs> nature at all. Um, and Juve, where you were thinking, oh, you know, Juve might, like, it was after the first few weeks, oh, yeah, Allegri will figure it out, but the, the, they they're out. not going to catch him. <laughs> they're not going to catch him. Um, even even if they go gangbusters in the second half of the season, um, like, there's there's already too big a gap. Mm. Um, I think I think Inter is in good position. if they, And, you know, they've got one point out of that, if they can get three points this weekend, that does massive favours for their title hopes. Yeah. Um, you know, as, as weird as it might sound to say, to be saying something like this in, in the middle of November, but um, with the whole season in context, especially when when I think I don't, uh, I think the winner is going to take less than, the winner of the CDI is going to take less than 85 points. Like mm. these kinds of games are absolutely critical. And so if Inter can win, that's huge. Well, you look at this month coming up for Inter, it's a very much, it's a quite a favorable run. I mean, mm. after Napoli, you know, Venezia, Spezia, Roma away, I mean, they, they'd really fancy themselves in that one. Cagliari, mm. Salernitana, Torino in that last game before Christmas. In between, like obviously. Stat pad, man. Yeah, and obviously the games against Shakhtar and Real Madrid, you know, interspersed between, you know, there's some big games for Inter. And they started to hit some okay form. I mean, they started to, like, they've been the weird case of this season that we just don't know. I mean, coming into the season after they lost those players, were like, are they are they still a contender? Are they not? But mm. the factor of Edin Dzeko, the factor of the, sort of those players that they've been able to the, they've been able to still steady the ship, and especially in midfield, you know, being able to get the best out of Marcelo Brozovic alongside the players that he has with Hakan Chalonoglu. I know that he put in his <laughs> un, like, look just about Hakan Chalonoglu, right? Like. There were a lot of Interisti on Twitter that were fiending about his performance against Milan, right? It, he, he did some good no. things, but it was the same thing. Yeah, that's there was nothing like, spectacular. It's what, what Milan fans would see. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. he would, he would, you know, he's he's a final ball and little else. So like mm. he'll he'll hit that final ball and he'll look like, oh my god, what a player Hakan is. But like a lot of a lot of what else he brings outside of pressing is pretty mediocre. Um, yeah. I remember, so, yeah, pressing in a final ball, like that's yeah. fine. But there's a big trade-off that comes with that, and as long as you do have players like Abrosovic next to him, mm. 
he's going to be fine. Um, Interesting. We'll learn soon enough that they're a bit hasty with that. Yeah. And I remember there was one play that kind of underpinned that. I think it was within like the first couple minutes of the game. Chalonoglu picked up the ball in space, 30 yards out, had Jekyll and uh, Martinez yeah. making the runs, just pops a, a shot, blocks straight into Simon Kier. It's like, that is Chalonoglu. That is Hakan for you, you know. He's, uh, he thinks he's better than what he actually – he thinks he's, you know, you saw his Instagram post before the game. You oh, know, the, my goodness. The, <laughs> yeah. Him taking on himself and, you know, the Duomo in the background and everything. It was just oh, – It's just man. like if there, if there could be any, like, visual representation of this guy having insanely irrational confidence, then that was it. Yeah. Like you don't, you don't even have to watch him play football anymore. You know what he's like on the pitch no, just absolutely. by seeing that IG post. It was insane. Yeah, but just just about intent. I mean, the, they've done all right. I've got to give them credit in what mm. that in what Simone Inzaghi's been able to do, and especially I've been impressed with Inter how they've bounced back. I know they've played Sheriff in the Champions League, but they weren't an easy beat in those first couple of games. But to get the back Sheriff, the mighty Tiraspol, they've done they've done a good job. But they. They've been able to actually steady the ship in the Champions League. I mean, they're in a position to to progress. Um, mm. Big games against Shakhtar and Real Madrid to come up as well. But they're at, they would they would consider themselves a real chance to be one of those teams in the Champions League right now. To I wouldn't say go on a run, but at least to maybe get to the quarters. Yeah, look, I think it is a tough group all the same. Mm. Um, it'll depend one on fitness at Real Madrid. And whether the Zerbi that actually takes a punt on Marcos Antonio, who's his best mm. midfielder and doesn't play, uh, uh, never mind. But I think um, Inter have stabilised. Um, and and we were saying at the start of the season, oh, there is going to be a drop-off. And, you know, they're not necessarily indestructible in the way or inevitable in the way that they were under Conte. Like, no. like Inzaghi has taken that element of Pazzo that he had at Lazio. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so there's, I remember we were talking about it off here, even the Samp game and Samp haven't actually been very good this mm. season, but they looked shaky against Samp and they do have that element in them. But I think over the past month they have stabilized. They found out, mm. They, they now have familiarity between the players now. And I think the dynamic between Brozovic and Jekyll for everyone else to work off, I think they're starting to kind of figure it out now. Yeah. I think the one thing that sort of caught my eye, especially from the derby was just Inter looking very open when Milan made changes and really altered sort of the, I don't think Inzaghi uh, coached the game sort of changed what no. he was trying, to what Milan were trying to do in the second half. When Milan brought on Salamakers, brought on Kalulu, brought on Benesan and Rebic, Milan looked a lot better and a lot more, you know, threatening. And that back three, as much as it served Antonio Conte brilliantly last season, they haven't looked like that this year. But not even just in the Derby, but in a lot of other games. Yeah. Too. That, that, but that's kind of been that, that was kind of the knock on Inzaghi even when he was at Lazio yes. as well. Like his in-game adjustment was never was was at times found wanting, and I think that kind of, that's happened in a few games this season where you know the wrong sub here and there can you know shift the momentum in favor of the opposition, and that was the thing about the derby as well. Like purely adjusted as well as he could have whereas Inzaghi kind of exacerbated matters. Mm. And that's where Milan probably had enough momentum to suggest that, or to, you know, to state the case that they could have won that game or should have won that game. Mm. Um, but just as an aside, 
it is so awesome to have a Milan derby that means something again. Even yeah. coming into last season, like just the atmosphere, the play, you know, just the drama of, of the games itself. Like, I, as someone who grew up watching City R, this is this is you know, yeah. I'm, it's kind of like I've been taken back to being a kid again watching yeah. these games. It's so so great. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously you're you've seen a lot more Milan derbies than I have in terms of the once the nineties and everything, but. From memory, I, I've had I have traumatizing memories for Milan yeah. Derby's man. Like I think back to twenty ten, I think it was one in two thousand and nine where Inter smacked us four nil um when Leonardo just mm. took over and it was like Mycon just absolutely blew <laughs> through Milan. Um and the, you know, I think about the the four two in twenty twelve that secured in uh Juve to win the scudetto Juve under, too, under yeah. Stramaccioni, um, you know, the there, there, there's and then many. going into the Banter era after 2013, yeah. It was like, but there was oh, some there, there was some good ones in the Banter era. You know, De Jong scoring a header and winning <laughs> one nil. And, uh, there, there, there's, there's been some memorable ones, and I think last season it was a shame with the three derbies we had last season, including the Copa, we had no mm. fans. You know, yeah, those, because it, that would have been nuts. Yeah, with sorry, fans. yeah, and and you think how, and that's that's actually been not just the fact that they've meant something, but how tight these games have been, mm. and how like how they've been defined by very fine margins. Even the first derby uh, last season, yeah. you know, you know, they were tight, tight games. And you can tell that, you know, there's a lot at stake here, both in terms of, you know, personal or professional pride in isolated circumstances in the game itself. But you, there's also the, you know, the calculations of what it all means. Yeah. Um, it's it's just awesome to have these games mean something like, or, and, or not necessarily mean something. They always mean something, but the fact that you have two relevant contending teams for the Scudetto and they're fighting, like you can tell, like it's just really awesome to see these games like back in the statue in yeah. which they belong. I still believe the 2020 derby, the 4-2, the comeback was what, yeah. you know, literally ended, started the pandemic. And like, it just, that was, after that, nothing was the same. It felt mm. like everything changed. Um, <laughs> and to be honest, it did for Milan too, because that was at that point where Milan started to find their feet under Stefano Pioli. And to mm. be honest, if you remember that game very well, Milan should have probably won that game. I mean, like, you know, that, that, that in itself was just an unbelievable contest. But let's move on. Let's talk about the other, um, the other guys just below them, obviously the other Nerazzurri, and that's Atalanta. They've had mm. a very odd period of time, defensively all over the shop. Um, they show glimpses of what they can do, that they've still got that bit of, it's when they go for a bit of excitement, but they just are so open. Yeah. The thing is, the thing about Atalanta has always been the relationship between attack and defense. Like more than anyone in City are because they are so open offensively. And like, I think this season, you know, we kind of, you know, not to, not to labor the point, but I think this season is kind of underlined just how transformative Papo Gomez was for them. And then the relationship, it means, you know, where they, let's say, pull defences. And so let's say if the opposition defence pulls a ball, are they within a, a relative structure to be able to uh, to be able to transition effectively and put Antalanta under pressure? And that was why they would have a lot of goals where they would be able to, let's say, 
keep possession, keep possession, and then they'll lose the ball. Then they'll be able to win it back quickly and then score like a counter on a counter. That necessarily doesn't exist anymore because you don't have the opposition defences scrambled as they were initially with Atalanta's possession. And that's what Gomez provided. I don't understand uh, Gasperini's adherence to system in the way that, like, with respect to Darun and Froehler, I think I think he should just be playing Malinowski deeper um, and, you know, be playing guys like Midonchuk, um, Pashalic as that, you know, as that effective, uh, let's say, penalty area entry and threat. Mm. You know, Ilicic, he's not going to do it every week, but you could probably, you know, you could probably rotate him effectively. Um, and he, and he, you know, coming into the international break, he did show that to a certain extent. Um, but they're just so volatile as a means of the system itself and the perception of the importance of that system. And I think they've been um, exposed a little bit defensively with Toloi going down. They've had to move Darun into a back mm. three. Um, and I still think with Koopminers in, it's still very much the same. Mm. Not much has really changed. I know they've no. lost Hatterbord and Gossens and they've had injuries. But, but like that's one thing. Robin Gossens is so important to how they attack on that left-hand side. But they've got issues, especially, you know, as you said, that there's, there's, there doesn't feel like there's much of a balance because they were able to counteract that a lot in the past by just being able to put four or five in the net. This season, yeah. they're not getting four or five in the net. I think, <laughs> you know, I think because a lot of times, you know, I think the, the games everyone – the, the generic football fan would have seen from Atalanta are the two Manchester United comebacks. Mm. But in itself, Atalanta probably should have won both of those games. But yeah. that was born of the fact of just moments. Milan was, um, not Milan, but Manchester United were just so bad in they, possession. Yeah, <laughs> there was just moments. And, you know, moments of a freakish Cristiano Ronaldo finish in Bergamo where there's, you know, Donny van der Beek comes on, stretches defenders, and <laughs> a, ga- a game changes. I know it's not a Premier League podcast, but, you know, this is essentially <laughs> what, what happened. And if you've got a midfielder like that in your team coming up against Atalanta, you're going to have problems. You remember how Sandro yeah. Tonali played against Atalanta before yeah. the last international break? He just completely had them running ragged. He had them running doggies all game. And if you mm. get players in those spaces, when you have a guy like Brahim Diaz or someone like Salamakers or Rafael Liao, who just, with Liao with his great vibes and... You know, if he's going at you in a back three, it, it's over. It's over for yeah. you. So, um, look, I think it's a big month for Atalanta. You know, they've still got Champions Absolutely. League uh, with young boys in Villarreal. They've got Juve away, uh, I think, in a week's, in two weeks' time. Napoli away during this period. Roma, Hellas Verona. Big games. Big month. Big, big games big for them. Big month. And I think we, we can determine their legitimacy uh, for the Scudetto. I think they'll stay in the race for the top four. And that's fine. I yeah. don't think that's up for debate. Up for debate, but um, yeah, it's like this month, and you know, they're not they're not the only team in this one. But um, mm. I think we can we can either put a line in them or put a line under them with respect to the Scudetto race this month. I think we need to give it another little bit because, as you said, with Afcon, that's when they might start to make some inroads. From the mm. top of my head, I don't think they're going to lose anyone, or maybe if anything. That will be the period where but, I think it'll be interesting to see who closes that. But game. they still need to stay in touch. Yes, yes. They still need to stay in relative touch. They can't, you know, let's say fall fall off because there's already a pretty decent gap between Milan, Napoli, mm. and the rest. If they fall further behind over the next month, then, then it's, it's going to be it's going to be 
are not necessarily over, but it's going to be a very hard task yeah. to be able to catch them. Because you have to rely on basically Milan and Napoli dropping at least by that stage. If we're talking, you know, say that Milan and Napoli February, drop, January, yeah, five or six games are going to have to drop, and it's not yeah. going to be points; they have to be losses. And I don't yeah. see Milan and Napoli losing five or six games in that period. Um, moving on to Lazio um, uh, again, like up and down this month, but a bit better in some some points. Like <laughs> they beat Inter at home, they got spanked by Hellas Verona on the road. You know, they drew with Atalanta. They got a win against Salernitana just coming into the international break. But a big game against Juve and Napoli back-to-back. Um, how have you seen them under Sarri in this period? Because they've been a bit of a weird watch, like a lot of these teams in that area so far. We're just They're hard to really get a bit of a read on. Uh, what was actually interesting um, about the Salernitana game was that he started Cataldi. Mm. And uh, I think... Even from the start of the season, Lucas Leiva didn't necessarily look the look the most assured of figures no. at the base of that Lazio midfield. And he doesn't necessarily provide what Sarzi is after. This plays into the whole thing or the dynamic of Lazio's midfield being everything for for that team. And you know, more than other more than other opposition in the league. And so Milinkovic, Savic and Luis Alberto really have to be dropping monster performances for Lazio to be Mm. relatively assured. Then at the same time, Luis Alberto is not even playing every week because at times he's gone with Tomo Basic and and, uh, Milinkovic, Savic. So that creates different kind of responsibilities and burdens for players like Felipe Felipe Anderson and uh, Pedro as well. And then you have, you know, the, like we were saying at the, at the top of this, um, the defensive susceptibilities of players like a Chad being a four. And they're just so volatile, mm. um, but fun. Yeah. No, no, they're, they're, they're very entertaining. It's exactly In what a we fun way they that they're like, yeah. Um, I think the interesting thing about Luis Alberto is you've got to think about what's his headspace. Mm. He doesn't want to be there. Like he's no. made that very clear. He wants out. Do... If you're Lazio and you're in this situation, I know how important Luis Alberto is. He's probably one of, if not the best, attacking midfielder in the league. Do you get to a point where you just have to ask the question of, all right, if he really wants to go, we've got to make that move? Or do you... Yeah, do you have to cut back. Yeah, or do you, you know, and you try your luck to try find someone else who can maybe try and <laughs> that's, that role? That's, that's the thing. What? I think you have to, you ha- I think you have, to have um, let's say, contingencies in place before that happens. Especially for a player so important, irrespective of how where he is professionally, well, where he is, you know, mentally, if you want to call it that, or psychologically, um, you can still at least rely on something, you know, professional conduct, yeah. and he will, he, like, that you can at least rely on certain base level perform in terms of performance. Um, but if you were Lazio. Um, you know, uh, uh, Iguitari wouldn't be doing his job if he wasn't looking for contingencies right now. What about Matias Zakanyi? He's already there. I mean, was that, do you think that was more of a depth sign? I think that was maybe the contingency. Yeah, I, I think, I think that may have been a depth sign because if it was, if it yeah. was a contingency, he would have played more to this point. True. 
True, that's actually a good point. I mean, unless they're relying on Toma Basic, but then again, though, it's... He's, it's, he's not. Yeah, he's not Luis yeah. Alberto. It's just, it's just not it. Um, it, it I, I think if Luis Alberto leaves, Lazio's going to find themselves falling out of this top four race very, very yeah. quickly. Um, but yeah. it's interesting because between him and Milinkovic-Savic, you think the amount, how, how long Milinkovic-Savic has sort of come to the fore as the player he is, he's always been linked to a move away, but he's never gone. Yeah. It's never you, actually happened. Like yeah, it's always think, kind of been someone else who's yeah. like, let's say, at a quote unquote big club. There's always been another signing that's kind of scuppered a potential move for Milinkovic Savage. And he has like he abs- he absolutely has the quality to play at the highest levels of football. Mm. But I think it's I think it's more just a circumstantial thing as opposed to anything else. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get what you mean. And I was just having a look at Luis Alberto's contract. It's not like he's going to be walking for free anytime soon. He's mm. contracted for another three years. Um, Lazio have got him tied down. And if you're going to you're gonna want him, you're going to have to pay big for him. And yeah. I do wonder if... I don't think that they would sell him to an Italian team because you, unless it was for, say, some ridiculous, like yeah. Ur- Urbano Cairo kind of <laughs> Andrea Bellotti uh, price tag. But you run the risk of, you know, the fact that there might be another team that shorthands it from a different league. You know, obviously, if, Sp- if a team from Spain comes <clears> along, which he might think about making a move back to La Liga, which I think he'd be great in La Liga. I think going back there would be yeah. a move for him. I just don't uh, want to see back in the Premier League. Yeah, like, I think, I think there are... Uh, <sighs> If if his agent was speaking, if his agent was doing his job, I think his agent would be cognizant of the fact that you know there are only certain destinations that Luis Alberto can go to. Um, at the same time, how much will money play a part? Yeah. Um, at the same time, I don't see a I don't see a Mulek situation at Napoli, for example. I don't think that's happening with Luis Alberto. Though. No, I agree. Like let's say if a, if a if a transfer doesn't come up in January. I could say I could say that he'll probably at least see the season out mm. if it doesn't happen. And I think he, as you did say, professional conduct, he'd go through this year, and he'd hopefully we can see a lot more of him because we haven't seen a lot of him this season. We want to see more because he's that good. Um, <laughs> let's let's move on to their uh, Roman rivals, and that's obviously Roma. They've they've had the month from hell really, and I think that we've started we to see that. what they truly are. It's the facade has dropped. And the pressure is building. And that loss against Venezia before the international break summed up Roma to an absolute, like, that was, that game was literally just everything that Roma is. You give them the ball, they're going to shoot all day. But going back the other way defensively, they are a sieve. And (laughs) they were just completely torn to bits by Venezia off the break and lost 3-2. Yeah. Um, And it wasn't even the Venezia game. You think about, let's say, they had... They had half an hour against a 10-man Milan after Theo Hernandez was sent off, and they looked absolutely toothless. There was one moment I remember in that Milan game specifically where um, I think it was El Shawari gets the ball out wide, Mm. and Jordan Vertut spams like this third-man run behind the defensive line. He's never in any position to receive the ball. Ben, I said, like, kind of, tracks the run initially, then he's like, oh, yeah, you're not going to get the ball. And so Ben ends up just going to El Shawari. El Shawari like, circulates possession. And, you know, they, they cross Bam for nothing. Roma just aren't good with the ball. And so as a consequence, they're going to get hit on the counter, especially for a team that doesn't press in the way that, you know, that notoriously don't under, under Mourinho. 
And that's where, you know, the a lot of the uh, criticism lies with Mourinho. Oh, he's, he's not modern defensively. But I think secondary to the fact that they just don't play well with the ball. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. And I think in a lot of these games, even in the, the conference league against Bodo Glimt, Going there Same and losing here. 6-1 is not it. And we've seen it already in terms of Mourinho's conduct, in terms of, you know, he started the typical throwing players under the bus. And um, the referees under the yeah. bus. And, you know, look, I, I I see that Roma on paper, their squad isn't that great. Like, let's, let's put this, <laughs> let's make this abundantly clear. This squad is not that great. And there are a lot of, a lot of glaring weaknesses, especially in the middle of the park, especially how slow they are defensively. Um, but they've got that. And the thing is, you know, you could still make it work with what they've got. If you're a good coach with what they've got, there's still enough to at least make them a competent unit. I'm not necessarily sure. You don't think so? I think that's the case. I think 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 you can at least put something out. I think that is a, a, a really poorly composed squad that Mourinho exacerbates with his implementation. And like, uh, and that was that was kind of you know what I was what I was thinking would be confirmed over the last month, and we just about had it. Mm. Like they had the they had that game where they could just sit against Napoli and you know basically do what they you know do what they could to hold on for a point and stop them from winning the game, mm. but. Yeah, like the, the, against better opposition, even against weaker opposition, if they're going to have the ball, they're going, they're always going to have this certain susceptibility. Um, and, you know, now with that honeymoon period over, um, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out for the rest of the season. And their issues going forward as well. You know, Tammy Abraham has stopped scoring. He scored against Venezia, but he's not scoring at the same level as he was at the start of the season. They've tried now him and Shmodadov leading the line together as a front two. Mm. Um, Zaniolos looks very rusty after coming back from all the injuries. He doesn't look the same sort of player. I know everyone's been fiending about Lorenzo Pellegrini, but he has the easiest job in this team. He just has to spam the box late with runs and get on the scraps. And he does it it better than anybody. Um, You know, the the Veratu-Cristante midfield partnership, as we spoke about, there's it's no, disgusting. it's so one dimensional. It's disgusting. It is. And, and it even, even if you play Viard, like Viard, like Viard looks technically great, but he's, he like, he's technically proficient, let's yeah. say, in comparison to a Cristante or a, or a Virtu. But his positioning is still just as, just as conservative as theirs. So your technical aptitude becomes, you know, a moot point. Mm. Um, they, like you said, like they are a highly one dimensional midfield. And as a consequence, it doesn't matter who you put, you know, in, let's say in that attacking, in the attacking yeah. third of the pitch, because the positions in which you're going to get the ball, get them the ball are going to be very compartmentalized. And also, you have to wonder, I mean, when I see someone like Cristante, I think back to when I saw him probably play at his best was in the middle of a back three, sort yeah. of being a distributing uh, ball-playing centre-back. Yeah. I don't see, if you're going to play a slow defence, I know they haven't really got options in the middle of the park, but, I mean, if they were to sign someone else in there, which I think they desperately need to because Amadou Diawara is not going to fix that, but mm-hmm. you could probably put him in there if you're going to go with a back three, if you want to change things up. But, again, you know... Looking at their depth out wide, you know, with Rick Karsdorp and now El Shirawi playing as wingbacks, 
That's not sustainable in terms of El Shadawi's fitness. We don't know how many games you're going to get at El Shadawi as a left wing back. Um, Especially and, in the absence of Spinazzola. Yes, absolutely. I think Spinazzola changes the dynamic there, yeah. But we don't know. Yeah. Depends yeah. on his recovery. You know, I saw mm. um, someone tweeting today saying, hopefully Spinazzola's back playing for Italy in March. I don't think he'll be back playing yeah, at all. That's after probably not happening, man. Like, yeah. It's probably not happening. And to be um, honest, he then has to go through his rehab, get build up form, and then, you know, like... Yeah, like he's behind the eight ball this season. So to expect him to have to have any kind of impact in this season at all is, is, uh, is impractical. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's move on. Let's talk quickly about Fiorentina, and we'll get to Juventus as well. Um, Fiorentina... <laughs> we haven't even you know, spoken about you. <laughs> we still haven't because they're eight, man. They're <laughs> so mid. Let's actually go with you a bit. I mean, we may as well. Like, we've opened the can of wounds. Um, the, the highlight is still, you know, I mean, Allegri rocks up every week. He says, Buona giornata. He says that things, he thinks things are going to change, but nothing has. I mean, this has been such a strange period where there was a period after that poor start where they started to get some wins and we thought, oh, no. Oh, no, yeah, here we go like, again. Yeah, like, but but the, then afterwards, they just regress. But regress, I think, regress. I think, I think the, uh, like, I think part of those results and part of those wins, I think we kind of always accepted that the performance was bad. Yeah. Or that the performance was subpar. So, like, the underlying, the underlying factors that, that you know, dictate results, like, if you're looking at it sustainably, like they're not there. And so, you know, we were talking about Orma having an imbalanced squad and a bad midfield. Like that's just as prevalent with, with you there. And, you know, I, I, you know, what was a, you know, what was the strangest thing this week? I saw it. It was Dybala's 28th birthday a few days ago. 28. He's 28. Like you think, Oh, you, like he was always like, where did the time go? Got, it, to be honest, you know, you think about it. After Ronaldo signed, it, it feels like went into a black hole. Ruined his career, man. Yeah, it ruined his career. Like you think about, you think about the. Um, I not ruined his career, but kind of stunted. Yeah, stunted, stunted or, yeah. or at least the ceiling that he had. Um, you know, potentially going into 2018, where he was exceptional. Him and Iguain had, you know, one of the coolest strike partnerships or attacking partnerships yeah. I've ever seen in City R. And then Ronaldo comes in and it just like one rotten apple ruins the whole barrel, for example. Mm. And you, uh, this is, this is like the culmination of all that. Yeah. You know, not, not even not winning City R last season, like this, like they've, they've just left with this, Mess, you know, absolute mess because the hurricanes come through and torn everything to shreds. Like it's, it's. I'm not. I will admit though, it is highly satisfying to watch. <laughs> it is. It is brilliant. <laughs> I mean, square pegs in round holes is what <clears throat> I'm seeing right now. A lot of square <clears throat> pegs in round holes. The system for what they've got is not compatible. <laughs> Playing Adrian Rabio. As a left wing still, and going with McKenny and Locatelli is a midfield partnership. He's like not he's partner. not Matuidi, for example. No, because he, he did try. Like he worked for Allegri uh, with Matuidi in that role because it was a second ball machine, and you know was a, like was a good complement to who he already had in midfield with Pjanic. Mm. But 
like if you have you know who you currently have in midfield for you bit, like it's not going to work no no um however much let's say a dibala or moratha you know to a lesser extent might be able to counteract that in terms of you know in terms of uh, phase of possession and responsibilities in terms of opening the game up for everyone but yeah like i just uh, i i personally don't um i'm personally confused with the lack of game time given to kulishevsky in, in this system i mean you fans use him as sort of the whipping boy mm. every time he plays everyone's always like oh god like you know this guy's not it but nah. if you think the way Juve want to play, he actually wouldn't be the worst player to have either on a wing, up top. Because he, he practically plays that way for the national team anyway. Yeah, he does. And <laughs> it literally wouldn't be the worst option. Like, yeah. I, I think about, you know, their persistence with Bernadeschi, who has played a lot of football in different roles under this under, under Allegri. Is he the answer? Definitely not. You know, he's not the guy who's going to fix things for them. Chiesa has moments, but as we saw again this morning, if you give him the ball and you put players back behind the ball, he'll do a few step overs. He's, he's the Italian. He's he's the Italian Rebic. Like he's, <laughs> we're getting to that point. <laughs> he's the Italian Rebic. Like he's he's just this guy who can run a lot, is really uncoordinated, but has a rational confidence, and he's going to try try. Yeah. Sorry, he's going to no, try no, things. Um, he's <laughs> but. Like he's there's no middle ground no. with a Chiesa. He's either going to look like a world beater or he's going to look absolutely disastrous. Absolutely, and especially in this system where you have so isolated reference points in terms of in terms of how they play in possession, um, like it creates certain exposure for someone like Chiesa. Yeah, and I think with you know just in terms of him himself. Like, I think that people look at him, his highlight reel, and think that, you know, he's an absolute world beater. Like, you know, because the things he does, the moments, some of them are, you're like, oh, the Jesus, like great. unbelievable. But I think <laughs> that people don't, like, this is this is what this is what irks me about when people watch plays like Kiaz and even about Serie A as a whole. People see things in a vacuum, but don't actually look at the whole picture. It's like with Morata, it's the opposite. People look at his misses. They don't look at what he does when he actually gets on the ball and his link-up play with Paulo Dybala. That that front partnership, if they had a function of midfield behind it, that could be It'll very be dangerous. It would be great. Fantastic, but they don't. McKennie mm. and Locatelli as a partnership is not it. They don't have those sort of players for what they want to play because, let's be real, Americans love Western McKennie, right? He's some <laughs> national hero, right? You know, um, there's it, there's this weird sort of, like, I used to think he was all right, and then I watched him a bit more, and I'm like, oh. It's just the same. They've all got the same midfielders. They mm. offer nothing. You know, mm. the, the one that I think offers the most is the one they're trying to ship off, and that's Aaron Ramsey. And for yeah. some weird reason, they won't play him. Because he I, can't run. Yeah, but... Quite simply, he can't run. Technically, and, and he gives them more than the others. Like, yeah, like, he's... He's extraordinary. Like, don't get me, like I'm 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 going to like you know state my uh, state my allegiance here. I love Aaron Ramsey. I think Aaron Ramsey <laughs> is an extraordinary footballer. Yeah, yeah. And like him coming to City R was like this utopian scenario for me, even though it was at Juve. Yeah. However. Like he can't run. He can't, he can't no. run, and so especially in football today. It, it, your athletic or aerobic capacity is more important than your technical or tactical capacity. Um, and as crap as that is, like Aaron Ramsey is going to suffer as a consequence of that. 
And then there are people saying that he could end up in the Premier League playing for Newcastle, where it's going <laughs> to be fascinating. In the most Tower League possible, Aaron, like if, like Aaron Ramsey with half a fork in him is going to play in the Premier League. Like he'll yeah. get eaten alive. In a four four two under Eddie Howe. Yeah. <laughs> Go figure. Anyways, okay. <laughs> um, let's let let let's talk just quickly. We've got we're running out of time here. Um, Fiorentina we'll touch on very quickly. We'll also get to Hellas Verona and Torino, also Genoa as well because they've had a unbelievable sort of few weeks in who they've appointed mm. as their manager. Uh, Fiorentina play Milan this weekend. Again, with Fiorentina stuttering one week a win, one week loss, you don't know what you're going to get from the other side with them. Um, they, I think they were perhaps unlucky not to beat Juve before the international break. Um, yes. They probably should have won that game. Um, is it still all the same with Fiorentina? Just inconsistent, not much, a little bit, you know, one-dimensional. <laughs> you know, they, they show moments but not sustained. I think sustained. Yeah, like I think – I think – um there's a in a similar way to Milan, I think um there's a lot of incompatibilities with their uh, with their front three. Um and, and that can be either either masked or exposed by the midfield, depending on composition. Mm. And I know, you know, it was particularly in the Juve game where they had uh, I think it was what they started with uh Jack Torreira. And Castrovilli in midfield, yeah. and then they had Saponara, I think. Yeah, Saponara, yeah, Saponara on the left. Yeah. yeah, so I think it's it's a tricky one because Cajon, even even on his best day, was required a reference point. Dusan Vlaovic, I, I, you know what? I don't, I don't see it. You don't see it. I don't see. Curious. It. I don't see. It. Um. Like he's just all right. It's hard to it's hard to explain, but he's like this quintessential Balkan number nine. Like he's all elbows. He'll run a lot. He'll give you a lot of physical duels, but like, and he's got a, a like this unbelievable ping on him. But how much of a trade off is that to what he doesn't provide in possession? So what, and so what you're saying the generation is, of chances. So what you're saying is, is another Alexander Mitrovic. <laughs> no, I'm not, he's not. He's not necessarily a Mitrovic, but like there's similar. Yeah, there's a relative. There's a relative similarity there. Um, I don't know. Like, uh, it, there's a lot of hype on on Vlaovic, but I just I just don't see it. Especially, let's say, if he's to make the leap to a big club, for example. Mm. Um. This might be his level. I wouldn't be surprised if he actually ends up if that all those rumors about him going to Tottenham actually happen. I can mm. see it. Um, I can't see him playing in Serie A next season because, to be honest, I know that he's kind of out of contract and the balls. So Fiorentina's yeah. already set the precedent, but Tottenham are going to overspend, right? <laughs> if Conte wants him, Conte's going to get him. Okay. Yeah. Um, and Daniel Gonde, Daniel Gonde will, will will love him if he's going to be that sort of physical presence. And to be honest, yeah. you know what's funny? Conte will probably make him into a fifteen goal season striker, like he did with you know some other sort of average sort of strike. Similar. <laughs> I mean, look at the. I mean, Diego yeah. Costa, similar elbows kind of player. I mean, hey, no, 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 no. You can't. You can't. No, Diego no? Costa. Diego Costa. At, like, yes, he was an elbows player. 
but he could do a lot in isolation, man. Okay. Like, uh, like having maybe you know, Graziano you Pelle in a small sample yes, size. Maybe. Graziano yes, Graziano Pelle, for example, a small yeah. sample size, but a very compatible striker to Donio Blonde. Um, yeah, I. But it's not um, now. This is me not saying you know Dushavlovich is bad in any way, but I think I think he's player or his profile and his preferences as a player and like what he uses in football, I think it has a ceiling mm. and I'm not sure if his ceiling is any higher than what it is at the moment. He might be just mid table city. I excellence. Potentially. Potentially. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing. No, because mid table city. I excellence is great. We love that. Mid-table it's the most Serious prestigious Jones. of all. Yeah. Of all He'll join Andrea Bellotti in that, in that little, <laughs> that, that small sample size category. Um, just before we move on from Fiorentina, just a thought, would Fiorentina be like the team that has arguably for outside of the big teams, the biggest like ranks so high up the NRI standings just for the amount of names. Huge, huge NRI for the field of theatre. Like Pereira played in the Premier League. Bonaventura. Yeah, like... You know, they had Rudy at one stage. They had Cajon when, like, Napoli on the start. You had the yeah. casuals who watched Napoli. Oh, Cajon's mad. So, like, Fiorentina, one of the, like, let's let's be honest, NRI in Serie A is very low Yeah, on the whole. Like, like you don't have people, like, you don't have the punters who are going to go to the, the precinct or, like, and watch the Premier League. They're not going to know who Dusan Blaovic is, for example. No. They'll know who maybe, oh, they'll know like a Frank Ribery when he was at, uh, when he was at Fiorentina before he, you know, before yeah. he left. It's like, oh, Ribery, he's mad. I remember watching him at Bayern. This, yeah. that. Like Fiorentina, uh, in relative terms in Serie A, high on the NRI. And you know what it also exacerbates that, just looking at so many of these Fiorentina players, is you've got the FIFA crowd. Yeah, and they see Kelly Hon like, oh man, he's so fast. He's mad. He has he has ninety nine so pace. Yeah, oh, I had him in Ultimate Team. Like he's so quick. You know, like even Matija Nastasic or you know yes, Marco Benassi. You know, um, Odria Zola. Like there's yes. it's it's a even like high NRI. NRI. Cagliari's the same, man. Like high NRI. Like, the, the thing about NRI, it doesn't mean you're good. Look no. at Belgium. 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 The Belgian national team have had the highest NRI. <laughs> Of anyone in the history of man, they've never no, been nothing. a serious team. Hey, but the so. FIFA rankings are basically off NRI because <laughs> they're always the number one team for some reason. Um, I, I don't know if you're. Are you? Are you a tennis fan? I'm a massive tennis fan. It's like remember when Caroline Wozniak used to be world number one, but never won yes. anything for so it's long. Like she was the most unserious tennis player, like ever. Ever. Yeah, and she'd always <laughs> like be world number one, but would never win anything. It's like it's just that. not clutch, man. <laughs> no, legit. Um, moving on, let's run through these teams quickly. Um, Hellas Verona. Um, Igor Turdor's got him playing some good football, but you've got a bit of a theory. I think some people, I think about the ten game burst. Yeah, the ten game. I, I was. I, it's it's okay. You have this magic number to see whether whether XG um, will provide a will provide an accurate forecast. And the best way to do that with respect to sample size is to use ten games. Ten games, like it's still it, it's still not saying anything definitive with respect to Hellas Verona. But what is definitive is how well they've defend in comparison to how Di Francesco um, had them going. I think it's a more relative uh, way of defending to when Ivan Juric was there. Mm-hmm. A lot of um, a lot of aggressive pressing, 
you know, but he's kind of mixed between, um, you know, just hard and fast man oriented defending and, you know, something more, let's say structured and zonal. I think they've been very good defensively. And then as a consequence, you know, the, the manner in which they can, um, the manner in which they can transition helps that or is aided by that. Sorry. Um, but my God, like the Simeone is scoring rippers. Like I, I know, don't, I, I, like, I, I know. Was just shocked there. I don't, how is, where is this coming from? I know. I I was kind. I'd kind of lost faith in Giovanni Simeone before this season because he'd always had potential, but yeah. he'd just never really taken the the leap. He never had the leap. <laughs> you know, like talking on AFL terms, like he yeah, never yeah, had yeah. the the big season, the champion yeah, the, data the breakout games. year. He never had yeah. the breakout year if you're Argentina, for example. No. And he's come here under Tudor and he's done a brilliant job. I mean, talking about <laughs> defending, they do they do concede. We got to, they haven't had a clean sheet, I don't think, under Tudor. No, but, but like they, uh, it's it's a consequence of how yes, aggressively they defend. Yeah, that's what I was like sort of alluding to, is that the way that yeah. they push everyone up. You, yeah. you ha- once that ball cuts through and you get through that first line, you remember against Milan um, when yes. they were 2-0 up and once they conceded, it was over. Like they yeah. found themselves just open and they can find themselves a bit brittle at times. Um, but to be honest, like they've been fun. They've been really, yeah. really fun. Um, <laughs> like, and that's that's not necessarily something that no. that uh, that applies to Igor Tudor coach teams. No, but this this is an interesting month for them because they played before this period all the big teams. Mm. Now it's Empoli, Sampdoria, Cagliari, Venezia. Now they, will be tough. now they need the ball. Yes, now it'll be interesting. This is kind <laughs> of the um, – this is this is where we see what they're really made of. So that's mm. probably one way to sum it up. Um, let's talk about Torino quickly. Um, like, again, similar sort of stuff. Beautiful football. Yeah. Beautiful football. But we're well, speaking off there about the Spezia game. Some key players missing. They lost – they just haven't been able to get any consistency in their results. Yeah, yeah, and and consistency in results and in personnel as well. Like yeah. it was the first, and it was the end of the Juve game where they finally had something that looks like their strongest starting eleven. Mm. Since then, they've had Pobega out, they had Belotti out, they had Brekalo out, and so it creates you know certain responsibilities for other players like a Lukic or a Dennis Pratt that they're not capable of doing. Um, and same goes for let's say a Tony Sanabria as well, like. If they are to let's say remain in European contention, and they're absolutely not out of it, like you think about it, they're only they're only four points off at the moment, um, and so they need to be fit. They need to be fit in order to be in order to get a run going. Yeah. Let's say after you know heading into the next month, they have a sensational squad. Like, yeah. They have a very good squad, a very underrated squad. I think is probably the best way to put it. Um, you mm-hmm. know, Paul Berg has had an amazing season there. Uh, just, really I know. Good. I know. We we've been speaking a lot about Pobega today, but if you haven't watched Pobega, for those listening, go watch him. Like just yeah. just if you, if you see Tony on TV, see Tomaso Pobega playing, just watch him. He's an unbelievable player. That you will see why Milan fans aren't too worried about losing Kessie if he's going to be coming back next season. Like he's a powerhouse. Like he's a powerhouse, but he also takes risks. Yeah, and you don't necessarily have to be this technical marvel to you know, make certain decisions off the ball mm. and make certain decisions on the ball. Like it, it, yeah. he's very much a midfielder, like who lives by the, lives by the who dares wins philosophy. You yeah. know? Like he's, 
I really enjoy watching Pobega play and Pobega and Brekalo finally playing in a position that actually suits him. Um, you know, pardon my international frustrations with, uh, with Dalic's use of Brekalo, but like Brekalo is everything that I thought he would be coming into City R. He's perfect for City R. And it's just a shame that he went down um, coming in, like coming into the international break. He actually played the second game uh, against Russia yesterday. I was frankly surprised by that. But um, yeah, if they can get like their strongest starting 11 out there, they can they can do damage in Serie A. Yeah, I agree. Um, just one last one before we go, Ante. Let's talk about Andrei Shevchenko. He's back yes. in Serie A this time as a manager after leaving the Ukraine. Um, Ballardini sacked before the international break. This is an unbelievable appointment. Like, for a team, like, I, honestly, where I expected Shevchenko to end up in Serie A. I expect him to be at a bigger club. Yeah. But to go to Genoa, this is a coup and a half. Like, yeah, you know what? I, I think I think that's actually um, cool on Shevchenko's part. Like, it's it's a gamble on Shevchenko's part because he did, you know, he, let's say, built NRI and a reputation yeah. um, as Ukraine's coach. Um, and he did a very good job there, for, at least at least in my opinion. Um I think he has the players that are, who are compatible to be able to play in the way he wants. I'm not sure, let's say, um, however, the only isolated example I think is a Pablo Galdames, who is very good offensively, but not necessarily um, a player who can cover a lot of aspects for, for yeah. Shevchenko. And that was always what he wanted with midfield. And I think that's why he kind of moved away with Malinovsky, um, you know, in midfield as a, as a, um, for the Ukraine team. And that's why he kind of went towards Shaparenko. I'm really intrigued to see how he sets that midfield up, mm. like going forward. And I think it'll, um, it'll really determine whether Genoa stay up. Yeah. I mean, you know, they're probably going to play a 4 3 3. You mm. think? Um, but yeah. as a six, they'll throw plays in around them. But safe pair, of, safe pair of hands. Even at this level, like Bardell, Bardell as a six in City R. Um, you know, like let's say in the Bundesliga or EPL, he'd get eaten alive. But City R, like he's mm. he's smart enough to make it work. Um, yeah. But the players around him will be will be the interesting one. Well, they've got Roma this weekend, mm. and if you're going to send a statement, new coach you dance win, against Roma. You win the Masadi against Roma. I tell you what, like, I genuinely wouldn't be surprised on Monday morning if they come away with a win, but it's a good win. Um, I think, yeah, I think it's like if any, if, I'm not sure if we should be giving better recommendations, but I think that's the uh, Roma plus, not uh, Roma, I think that's the Genoa plus 0.5. Yeah, no, honestly, honestly though, I think if you're watching any Serie A game this weekend, um, there's some big ones, but this is one obviously just to keep on the back burner. If you're up mm. and you're, it's a six forty-five time slot on a Monday, keep that Perfect. one in the back of your mind. Um, Ante, before we go, uh, what are some of the sort of things you're looking forward to in the next month? Obviously, there's a lot happening at either end of the table. But what's sort of the storyline you're looking forward to? Outside of outside of uh, you know the leading to Milan Napoli before Christmas, um, Roma, mm. um, Roma Mourinho, and how that you know whether it really uh, kind of which way it goes essentially. Um, and also uh, I'm really intrigued to see uh, Inter if they can stay in touch. Yeah. No, no. Um, I, I, I think, think yeah. yeah, I think that's a big one. I think that's 
the big one. Like the Inter yeah. one is massive. That's the story. Like yeah. you, you know, if if like as long as Milan and Napoli stay where they are, if if if, if Inter can remain within touching distance at this point coming into Afcon, I think that's this is huge for the season. Yeah, I think for me, the my eyes will definitely be on the Napoli um, Inter game this weekend. Mm. Um, it's a shame it's the four o'clock kickoff and not the yeah, six forty-five. Yeah, it's the worst. Um, you know, and even Lazio Juve is a big game this weekend. But I think for me, I, I'm just can't wait to see who slips first between Milan and Napoli. Mm. I just was, I'm curious to see who blinks first and just and to see the, how things go. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. I was, and that was actually one of the interesting things about the Napoli Hellas game, where Napoli probably did enough to win. Mm. Like uh, they they created chances well enough. And and I remember us talking in the last episode. It's like, oh, you know, you didn't you didn't necessarily trust Napoli. No. Over the years, you know, they 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 played well, and this is this is a, this is an important month for Napoli. Yeah, I think like you, you I, think go e- for it. I think equally for Milan as well, because even though they do, they're basically out of the Champions League. They're not mm. going to lie down against Atleti and Liverpool. And to no. be honest, they if they've got a chance, Pioli's going to put out a winning team. But I look at the games either side of them, games against Sassuolo at home, and Sassuolo's always been Milan's bogey team. Um, I look at, you know, <laughs> away at Udinese. We know what happens when you go to Udinese, and we know what Luca Gotti is going to do. That's also a banana skin heading into the Napoli mm. game. The, and even they've got to play Genoa away. You know, going up against Andrei Shevchenko, we don't know what to expect. And, and even to a lesser extent, Fiorentina this week and at the Atermio Franchi. That in mm. itself is going to be an interesting watch because the other part of this is They've still got players out. You know, is Tatarasano going to be able to keep things going between the sticks? Uh, Calabria is now out for a f- at least a week or two. So a good chance for Kalulu. But at the same time, you lose that bit of intangibles because Calabria is a leader down there. And how do, how does Pioli manage his squad during this period? You know, does he stick with Zlatan as the main man? Does he go with Rebic as the main man? Um, it's going to be an interesting month for Milan. And I think it's going to be... It's when it all culminates that day on, on that game on the 20th of December at the San Siro... I am very curious to see where both teams are at. If both these teams go through without a blemish and they win all these games or don't drop a point or if they just match records, that is going to be massive. Like, yeah. Just to make <laughs> it so clear, that is going to be huge. Like that, that is, If there was ever a grand final in the Serie A, this is the grand final. Like this, this is it. This is one of the biggest games of the domestic ca- or, or like the club calendar across the Europe. Yeah. yeah, this is massive this season. I can't wait for like that. And that's it's like Christmas will come five days early. Yeah. Like I really can't wait for this game. And it's pr- and like in a similar way that the late or the game in November last season was between the two sides. Mm. High drama. Great football, a lot on the line, two informed teams. Like, I think that's an amplification of what we saw in that first game last season, which was arguably one of the best games of the whole season, you know, overall. Um, Yeah, like if they stay, if they maintain informed both sides, (sighs) what a game, what a game, I can't wait. It's a real shame that the the break ends after another game. They have to play one more game before the break. Mm. It'd be perfect if that was just like the culmination. You know, it's it's like um, you remember how always in in Game of Thrones they used to have always the biggest episode as the second last episode. <laughs> the of the second season. last episode, and it was like you have the finale, but it's like this doesn't feel right. Like it could yeah. have just ended there. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like they go. It's like they jumped the shark. So it'd be good if they just went. You know what? <laughs> 
Stuff Milan Empoli. Let's throw that. Let's go with Theodore three days early. Like, who cares, you know? So, anyways, um, Ante, it's been a pleasure, man. Um, great chatting. If you've missed any of the show, guys, and you uh, want to listen back later, feel free to check out our podcast platforms on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get them. We'll be back hopefully in around a month, maybe around the Christmas period. We'll see how we go. But uh, for myself, Nick Tabar and Ante Jukic, uh, we say goodbye for now. Ciao. Thank you.